In the name of our dear Savior, Jesus, brothers and sisters. I don't know how many people think about the birthday of the Lutheran Church every year and how big a deal it is. Even more so, you know, we always think about Luther nailing 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, but even more important, I would say, is this day, June 25th, well, not this day, last Thursday, June 25th, 1530. It was in 1530 when most of Europe was all pulled together in what was called the Holy Roman Empire. And I, I, I don't know how many people remember history class. The Holy Roman Empire was really just a bunch of city-states and uh, countries that had been pulled together under the Holy Roman Emperor, working in tandem with the Pope, really. So it was like this Holy Roman Empire was the secular arm of the Catholic Church at the time. And the Pope would give blessing to the empire if they listened to him. If not, well, then he would usually have to punish them somehow. Anyway, Charles V was the Holy Roman Emperor at this time, overseeing the Holy Roman Empire. And it was on June 25, 1530, where the German princes who sided with the Lutheran reformers against the Catholic Church came before Charles V and representatives of the papacy in the southern city of Augsburg in Germany and presented with them their confession of faith. The birthday of the Lutheran Church. That battle had been going on in the Holy Roman Empire for quite some time between the Catholic Church and the Reformers. And finally, at this big moment, those princes humbly and boldly stood before the papacy and the emperor and confessed that they cannot leave the scriptures, but that man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in the scriptures alone. And when those earthly powers rejected that confession and those proposed reforms that they wanted to bring to the Catholic Church, always keep that in mind. The reformers had no intention of leaving the church right away. They had always intended to reform the Catholic Church. But when it came to this point and the Catholic Church refused to accept the proposed reforms that came with the Augsburg Confession, it became apparent that those princes and other supporters of the Reformation could not stand with that church anymore. The church that had rejected salvation through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, alone. And so it's in this way that the Lutheran Church on June 25th, 1530, was born. Now in some ways that's kind of sad because it is not a huge day of celebration. It was a day of division in the church. Because God's truth was denied even as His messengers proclaimed it truthfully before the world. And yet, especially as Lutherans, we can't help but stand back and wonder at the princes and reformers who stood up and spoke for the Son of God, who spoke for Jesus Christ and the truth about what it is Jesus Christ has done for us through his word and what he has called them to, and as we see them do as he has called his people to do, to stand up for the truth of the gospel even in the midst of fear and trial and anguish and whatever else Satan may throw at you. Now, we don't really like division. Division is not something that most people like. 
Nobody likes how the nation right now is divided. Nobody likes when families are divided and, and people don't talk to each other for years. People don't like losing their friends because of arguments. Division is not something that we like. It hurts. It doesn't build up. And many people in the world would like to think that if there was one place you could find unity and peace, it would be in religion. That's why you see those bumper stickers that say coexist. All the letters that for the word coexist are made out of different religious symbols because they think that in religion there should always be peace and unity. And that's what every religion should strive for. And yet, in the gospel today, Jesus spoke the exact opposite. Jesus said that he came to bring not peace, but a sword. A sword, a weapon meant to divide. Jesus' language is very strong here. You know, what we read says, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to earth, but a sword. But what Jesus said is more like, don't you dare, don't even begin to have an inkling of thought that I've come to bring peace to this world so that everyone's going to live in this utopian harmony. He says, not at all. He says, I've come to bring a sword to the world. And that's so odd, isn't it? This is the man who, when he came to this world, had angels sing about him, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men. But that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about here. If, if we look in context, we'll see that Jesus did come to bring peace, but not the peace that people hope for, not the peace that people think that they are looking for. Not long before this, Jesus began to preach in the northern region of Galilee. And he was there when he called his first disciples even, before he, right before he sent them out. It was there that as he headed from village to village, teaching the word of God and preaching to the people, feeding people, healing their diseases and, and casting out demons and such, it was there that he called his first disciples and it's there that he looked at the people and had compassion on them. He says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. The religious leaders had abandoned them and led them astray. And Jesus had compassion on them in their condition. Because most importantly, more than feeding them and casting out demons and sickness, Jesus wanted them to know that what they had been looking for originally, what they had kind of strayed from, was what he had come to bring. He wanted them to know who he was and why he was there, that he was the gracious heart of God in action. That even though man had sinned, and deserve nothing from God, that he still was there to be the Messiah they looked forward to, to bring peace. Not what we would say horizontal peace between people in this world necessarily, but peace between them and God. That's the peace the angels sang about. The angels are so excited, not that Jesus would bring peace to this world, but that he was going to bring peace between mankind and God, that this plan of salvation that God had since the eternity for his people was going to be put into action so that the Savior finally came to the world to bring peace. And Jesus, he came for these people so that through that same message, they could be brought to faith in him as their Savior and know that peace. Now to help him out in this task, he had sent disciples with that message of grace. 
and he sent them out with the promise. A promise that if they would speak up for the Son, if they would speak the truth before the rest of the world, that if they would speak his word, they would be speaking with his authority, and that they would be speaking with his power. And the Holy Spirit would work through that message proclaimed by those disciples and create faith and give forgiveness and bring the knowledge of eternal peace. That's why when Jesus sent them out, he said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. That's peace. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. In other words, as God's people go out, they speak their faith in their Savior. And that's something we do with not only our mouths, but with our actions too. That's, that's what we've been called to do, to live a life of good works that others might come to know the glory of the Father and come to faith in Him. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So that just like our Savior God, just like Jesus, we can see the people of the world and have deep compassion for them. And in particular to be concerned about those who are lost in unbelief and without real peace. This is why as freely as we have been given and received the grace of God that has taken away our guilt, so freely we take that message to others. I know we can all think of somebody in our life, a, a friend or a coworker or some colleague, I'm sure we can all even think of a family member somewhere who needs to hear about our Savior, about Jesus. And rejoicing that you know the truth. Rejoicing that you know what they need and what their hearts are longing to be filled with. Speak up for the Son. Speak up for the truth, knowing that one day, that last day, when you stand before the judge, when you stand before God, Jesus will stand with you and say, Father, I know this one. I know this one. I bought them with my blood. They're mine. And they have spoken up for me in the world. And so let them in. Let them into the, the glory that has been promised to them. Now, it doesn't make anything easy. Knowing what's in store for us as we speak up for the Savior is, is, is why we go do this, but that doesn't mean that we're going to go gung-ho and do this in the world without any problems whatsoever. Just because we speak up for, in Jesus' name, just because we have His authority and His power and represent Him, does not make standing up for Him easy. In fact, He promises you it's going to be the opposite. He says instead, they need, the people need to pick up their cross to follow him. Jesus' life is one that shows exactly what he's talking about. Jesus himself, the, the Savior, the, the God of the world, the, the one who came to give us heaven and forgiveness, he was laughed at, he was rejected, and eventually he was arrested and even executed. And as Jesus sent out his disciples, he told them, if you take these things to the world... Expect that. Because if they happen to me, they're certainly going to happen to you because you represent me. And Jesus knows that his disciples should expect what Paul wrote about when he said that the mind of unbelievers is hostile to God because the cross and its message is foolishness to them. 
That right there is what brings us back to the sword that Jesus mentions in these verses. Jesus isn't talking about a physical sword. Jesus does not advocate for violence in his name. Peter tried that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It didn't work so well. And Jesus said, Peter, don't stop. That's not at all what you should be doing. He said, what, what is your problem, Peter? Instead, he talks of the sword that Paul mentions in Ephesians 6, that sword which is the word of God. Just think of how that sword pierces hearts. Think of how that works. How it cuts the heart and it convicts of sin and guilt and how it holds all people accountable before a just God. A just God who, who promises to punish sin and unbelief. And just think of the hostility that this message can be met with when you take it to the world. Nobody likes to be told that they're sinners bound for hell and deserving of eternal punishment. The sinful heart is hostile to that message. It wants nothing to do with it. That's not what it wants to hear. And think of the hostility that, that can bring with it sometimes. Think of the division that that message causes when people react. This is the sword that Jesus was talking about. The cross that believers bear is the pain and sorrow that we face in this ruined world because we bear the name of the one who has made peace between God and us. How ironic is that? The message that's there to bring them peace is actually a message that because of sin causes division and offense and divides. Even among some of the closest relationships, mothers and daughters and fathers and sons, people within their own household. Because that message of grace is a message that hell and all of Satan's workers will fight against as long as they have to and as hard as they can. Jesus' own disciples are an example of that. Many of them were persecuted. Many were outcasts. Many were even put to death as they spoke up for their Savior. Another example of that would even be the Reformers 490 years ago as they presented their confessions at Augsburg before people who could destroy them, people who could destroy their titles, their properties, their families, their homes, and get rid of everything that ever brought them joy, all for the privilege and the grace-born desire to speak up for the Son as Scripture presents Him. As he, they presented before the world that we are saved through Christ by grace alone as found in the Scriptures. And this truth is the most precious treasure that we've been holding on to now since it's been presented at Augsburg for almost 500 years. And yet, like we said, that's easier said than done to do what they did, right? I mean, if you, you think about the people we talked about before, your friends, colleagues, family members, even people that we love, that we want to have this message we have to kind of ask ourselves, have we always presented that message before them as we should? I mean, if we've taken the opportunities to tell them about the Savior, or are we afraid of the cost? Because the cost can be a lot. You can lose friends. You might lose reputation. They might think differently of us than they have ever thought of us before. And in your mind, has that possibly outweighed sharing in the gospel with them, just as Christ has called you to do. 
I know I've done that. I've had those moments. And you think of Jesus' words here when he says, if you value any relationship more than your relationship with me, then you're not worthy of me. And your heart just drops and it sinks. And you kind of get that moment like Peter had when he saw the, uh, Jesus after the rooster crowed and he denied Jesus three times. And you kind of just think to yourself, oh, that feeling of guilt just sits in the bottom of your heart as you hear Jesus' words and he says, you're not worthy of me. And that action is worthy of being disowned before my Father in heaven. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in spite of our guilt, God looks at you and has compassion. You know, that's exactly why he sent Jesus. You know, for every time you and I have failed to put him first, Jesus has always put the Father first. Jesus has always spoken up for the truth about God and his word. Jesus even did it up until the point where he was before Pontius Pilate who had the power to crucify him. Jesus has always spoken up for the truth. And you and I have received that righteousness through faith. And as he went to the cross and received our faithfulness on his back and our guilt, that was in our stead. And then when he went to the grave, that was for you and me. And then he came out on the other side, our guilt taken away and our sins forgiven. Everything punished in full. You hear the message of the word that the reformers spoke about, that message of guilt taken away and forgiveness. In Christ, that righteousness is credited to you as your very own. And he testifies to this for you before his Father in heaven. And he will do on the last day for you as well. Eternal life is yours because Jesus has won it. Jesus has made sure of that. And that's the joy and that is the peace that Christ has brought for you and me. And that is what moves us to speak. We, we follow the one who bore the cross for us, who went to the grave and who came out again and has ascended to heaven. And even more than just doing that, rules all things now for you and for the benefit of his church. And who will one day return to take you and me to be with him where he is. Oh, so we speak. Because we want as many people in this world, to know and rejoice with us in what we know and rejoice in. And so we thank God. We thank God for His mercy. The mercy that He has shown for us and the mercy to preserve that Word from one generation to the next, which will be preserved from now until He returns. And we thank God for His faithful witnesses. Witnesses that have been passed down and been there time and time again from the disciples to the Reformers, even witnesses that have brought you and me to hear the gospel as well. And so in the, his faithful love, we consider it a joy to speak up for the Son. So happy birthday, Lutheran Church. Happy birthday indeed. Amen.